Yes. Okay, great. Well, it's my honor. It's my privilege. He's your pastor. He's my husband. Sorry for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got lucky, right? Um, God was kind. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open and pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you this morning that your word is alive and active. Lord, we open our hearts to hear from you. Lord, I humble myself before you this morning and I pray that you would speak through me and you would speak to our hearts. We want to hear from you. Would you take this word and implant it, Lord? I pray that it wouldn't be robbed. I pray that it would take root and it would grow and bear fruit and that you would add to it, Lord God. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice will hear your voice, Lord, will hear you speaking to them, whether through my words or through your Holy Spirit. But we invite you to come and ignite our hearts and show us where we can change and grow, Lord. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, won't you say amen, please? Amen. amen, amen. Okay, so as my husband said, we are continuing in our leadership series. How many of you have been enjoying the leadership series we've been doing? Enjoying it, challenged. I've been challenged by some things. Some of the questions that Pastor Vim um, shared, uh, I think about two weeks ago, really challenged me and she said them quite quickly and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to need to go back and I'm going to have to re-listen and just check that I'm aligned with what God is saying. And it's important when we come here and we come to church on Sundays that we understand that God wants to speak to us and um, regardless of who's standing here, you can hear God speaking to you, whether it's through my voice or through his Holy Spirit, amen. And when we come on Sundays, do you think that the person who stands up here to share hasn't prayed about what they're sharing? Do you think that they've really sought God to speak? I think so. And regardless, God loves the people who are hearing because the gifts are for the people. So God wants to speak to you this morning and he wants to continue speaking to us about leadership. And I hope that hearts are hungry this morning to hear from him. Yes. Okay. So I encourage you to listen to the other messages in the School of Leadership that we've been um, listening to. Today I'm going to be talking about leadership principles from the life of Jesus. Leadership principles from the life of Jesus. And um, I'm quite excited about this. There's so much in... Sorry, I'm going to use a handheld. It's, I'm really struggling. Interpreted. So the whole of the Bible is important 
But today we're going to be looking at the Gospels, what Jesus said and did, which is the cherry on the top of the Bible, so to speak. So the first principle that I'm wanting to draw from Jesus' life, which I think is so crucial for us as believers, whatever walk, whatever place we find ourselves in, is that Jesus was mission-minded. Jesus was mission-minded. And I know that some people might think, well, you're talking about leadership. How does leadership apply to me? Because I'm not a leader in my workplace. I'm not a leader, you know, an obvious leader. Um, I don't lead in my circle of friends. I don't, you know, I'm not a leader. Well, you probably are. You lead either in your, by influence, you lead in your home, in your household. When I often pray over my kids, you know, Lord, may they be the influencers and not the influenced amongst their group of friends. So by leadership, we're not talking about having a leadership position. We're talking about leading. What are you doing? Whatever you're doing in your teams and church, whatever you're doing in any team, you can lead and God wants us to lead and be an influence because all of us have a message and all of us have something that God has given us that other people need. Amen. So this message is for everyone. Jesus, and I'm, that was part of my introduction, which I left out, so now I'm going back to my first point, which Jesus was mission-minded. Jesus was all about his mission, his purpose, his seasons. Jesus understood the time of his preparation. Jesus understood the time when his ministry was to start. Jesus understood when his ministry was shifting from focusing on the crowds to focusing on his disciples and preparing them for his departure. Jesus has had an idea of his purpose and he had an idea of his times and his seasons. Do you? Often we call to things, we were talking about it with Cindy the other, the other night at Ladies on Friday night. We call to things, we get a prophetic word, God has called you to do this and do this and this. And we think we're going to wake up the next morning and we're going to step into the thing that God has called us to. No, there's a process, there's a journey when Joseph had his dreams. He had the dream when he was a young boy uh, and, and the prophetic word came. And then what happened? Then he was sold into slavery. And then he had to work. There was a whole process before the fulfillment of the word. But at the back of his mind, I'm sure he knew that God was taking him somewhere. And there was a purpose and he kept his heart right. And so even if you know there's a purpose, but it's not your season to step into that purpose, we have to still know that there's a purpose so we can keep our heart right. If something happens along the way, we will trip up and we won't fulfill our purpose. So Jesus was purpose-oriented. Matthew 5, verse 17 to 18, Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. He understood why he came. He didn't misunderstand why he was there and didn't want others to. He said, I did not come to do this, but I came to do that. What are you doing right now that you have not come to do? We heard one of the weeks that good is the enemy of the best. And sometimes we do lots of things because we can do them. But actually saying yes to that means saying no to that. And that is my primary calling. What are we saying yes to that we should actually be saying no to? Jesus knew what he hadn't come to do, and he knew what he had come to do. Do you know what you've come to do? Do you know why God has put you on this earth? Do you know the enemy of that? Do you know the, 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 the devil likes to make us so busy, and I know this for myself. I'm a doer, and I get lots done, okay? But sometimes I can get so busy and so busy doing things, good things, 
that I end up not doing the thing that I should be doing. And by the way, that can also be a form of procrastination, I've discovered. <laughs> if I don't really feel like doing that thing that I know I should be doing, I'll do lots and lots and lots of good things. But they're robbing me of what I should be doing. Jesus understood why he was here. Why are you on earth? There's a purpose for every single person. Every single person has something to give. You know, God made us a body because he wanted us to be dependent upon each other. Somebody needs what you have. Some, do you know what that thing is that you have that others need? Do you understand what God has put in your hand? Do you understand the desires and the gifts and the passions that God has given you? Can you are you aware of them? Because that's often a clue to the thing that God has called us to. Amen. I love the scripture, Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God, the uh, right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus had a race to run, and he had a race to run that required endurance, and he had a race to run that he ran because of the joy that was set before him. So he ran his race. Whose race are you running? Whose race are you running? You know, in church, we get jealous of each other's gifts. Yeah. Come on. I know. People look. Well, I want that, and I want to do that. Well, you know what? What happens when I run in a race that I'm not registered for? I'm disqualified. I don't get a medal, and I don't get the reward. I can't win a prize. Here, the author of Hebrews is saying, run the race that is set before us. Run the race that is set before you. What is your race that God has called you to run? I can't run your race, and you can't run my race. And my race that I'm running, God has gifted me and will enable me to do that. But as soon as I step out and I start running someone else's race, that enablement is not there anymore. And it's going to be tough. So are you running your race? Whose race are you running? The Bible says that we shouldn't compare ourselves amongst ourselves because that's foolishness. Please don't compare yourself with me. And I won't compare myself with you. Okay? I'm me and you, you. And I've got my gifts and you've got your gifts. Don't compare yourself with him. You're you and he's him. Yes, we aspire to and we look up to mentors and we look up to role models. But we don't compare ourselves. And I know I've said this before, ladies. What do we do? Men look at women. Sometimes my husband doesn't. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. I hope yours doesn't either. Okay, there's nothing more irritating. You know, in restaurants and you walk in and you see guys looking at you, they're sitting with their wife. And I'm like, anyway, so men, some men look at women, but what do ladies do? Look at ladies. They come, and what do they do? They look at the shoes, compare. The clothes, compare. The size, the shape, compare. The hair, I don't know. The weave, the fashion, I don't know. You tell me. You know? We shouldn't compare. I'm me, you're you. Amen. Amen. Run your race and I'll run mine. Okay? I love Psalm 139. It says, For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that beautiful? God knew every day that he'd already had a mind for me before I came into being. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship. You and me, baby, we his workmanship. His workmanship, his fingerprints are on me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I just have to walk in the things that God has prepared for me. If something is really, really difficult for you and really, really tough, maybe God didn't prepare those works for you. You know, maybe you're in the wrong, wrong race. I'm not saying things don't get difficult, but God is a good God and He's prepared good works and there's a purpose for each and every one of us. Jeremiah 1 says, um, talks about how before the prophet was born, God already ordained him as a prophet to the nations. God already called him. God already made him for that purpose. Before we born, God has a purpose for our lives. So encouraging, so beautiful. You're not a mistake. No one's a mistake. Okay, so all that to say that you and I, each of us, have a purpose and we have a race, just like Jesus had a race. And we've got to run our race, not anyone else's race, our race. And now we're going to look at a few examples from Jesus' life. The first example that I'm wanting to look at is from Jesus' Galilean ministry in Mark 1, verse 35 to 39. It says, Before daybreak... The next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, we'll look at that a bit later because that's, that's a good example for us. So he got up early in the morning so he could just get alone and go and pray. Some of us need to do that a bit more. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Where are you? Everyone is looking for you. Any moms feel like that? <laughs> you just want to go to the bathroom in peace. Bang, bang, bang. Everyone wants you now. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. He replied, we must go to other towns. I must preach to them too. That's why I came. Luke 4 says, early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. This is Luke's account of the same thing. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And they finally found him. And they begged him not to leave them. But he said, I must preach the good news in other towns. Because that's why I was sent. So you're popular and the guys want you on TV. So you're popular and the people want you. They need you. They need you. My love, they need me. How nice is it to feel needed? How many of you like to feel needed? No, <laughs> she doesn't. Some people like that. They like to feel needed. It gives them a sense of significance or self-worth or something. My boss needs me. My, they need me, my children. I'm needed by the crowds or by this or by that group of people. Well, is that your purpose? Because Jesus, even in the midst of being needed, int intensely needed, he said no. He said no. He said, I must go there. So why were you sent? And why are you here? And do you say yes to external pressure because of an internal need of yours? Or because of fear of man? You know, sometimes we're afraid of saying no. We're afraid of the opinions of man. Jesus was so straightened towards God. Jesus was so aware of what God the Father wanted him to do that he didn't mind saying no to other people. That's right. And my prayer this morning is that we'll be those type of people. 
We won't mind saying no to people who maybe we're afraid of, or maybe it's actually really difficult to say no because of the call of God, because of where God, what God has said, because of His purpose. Amen. I want to be straightened towards God and not bent towards man. The second example I'm wanting us to look at is the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on a mountain. And we are all, most of us are aware of the story. And Jesus basically transformed and his face shines like the sun. His clothes become white. And Moses and Elijah appear and begin to talk to him. And Peter exclaims, I love Peter, he's so honest, it's refreshing. He says, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make shelters as memorials. We can just chill here. This is really awesome, Lord. Obviously, the presence of God was amazing. There was Moses. There was Elijah. Anybody wants prophetic experience, that's kind of like, you know, Jesus there, transformed. He can hear them, they can hear them speaking. That's an amazing experience. And I love being in God's presence. And I love being in prayer. But it's interesting because God, the Father, speaks and says, this is my son who brings me joy. Listen to him. And then Jesus said, you know what, guys? We need, Jesus knew he had to go down. He knew where he was going from there. Where was he going? He was going to the cross. He was purpose-oriented. He was mission-minded. The guys, the disciples wanted to chill there in the presence of God. And many of us love being in the presence of God, and I do too. And sometimes that's the easiest option for us. We don't want to take a step outside the four walls here where it's safe and we're in God's presence and we can hear Him and it's... We don't want to take a step and go down the mountain and do the hard work. Jesus knew where He had to go. You know, I think that... Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. But I think we've shortchanged people when we preach the gospel that we preach today. I think that the gospel has become very shallow. It's become very me-centered. It's become very much my prosperity, my calling, my purpose, my feeling good, my breakthrough. That wasn't the gospel. That is not what I see Jesus teaching. Jesus left that feel-good place and he knew he was going to die on the cross. I wonder how many of us would leave our feel-good places to go out and die if God has called us to do that. And I'm using die in a figurative sense. Sometimes just going and carrying meals to someone who doesn't have, that's, that's what we've got to do. God wants us to leave this, yes, this place is good, Ignite is good, this is all awesome and we have to pray more. And God needs to help us to do that more and more. But we've also got to go out and reform and change the world. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Jesus left that feel-good place and he went down. And he took the guys with him. We've got to be able to do that too. Amen. We've got to help those we lead to go where they possibly would not have gone before. And to be willing to hear and to share what they possibly don't want to hear. Why do you think that when God the Father placed his seal on Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Why do you think he had to add, this is my son, listen to him. Why did he add that? That wasn't in when he was baptized, that wasn't there. God adds it with the Mount, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Because Jesus was about to say to them, guys, I'm going to have to suffer like John the Baptist. I'm going to be killed. You know, he was going, basically going to be explaining that to them, but they couldn't understand it. They didn't get it. It was hard for them. So we have to be able to go and to take people with us. 
help people to hear what they don't want to hear. Maybe you don't want to hear this this morning. Okay? okay? We have to help those we lead to see what they would never have seen before. Are you helping people to see Jesus as he really is? Or are you painting a picture of Jesus that is not who he really was? Are we painting, are we tickling people's ears and telling them only what we think they want to hear? Or are we telling people the truth? The gospel is not a gospel of convenience and there's no room for narcissism in, in Christianity. It's not all about you and your prosperity. It's not all about me and my prosperity. It's not about my calling either. It's about God and His kingdom. And yes, God is good and those things come. But, and if I seek first His kingdom, He adds those things to me. But I don't seek after those things. That's right. And the gift that God has given me is not for me. Yes, I have a prophetic gift. Guess what? It's not my gift. And guess what? I'm a steward of it and I'm responsible and I have to answer to Him for it. And, and it's not to make me feel good or feel important. It's for you. So sometimes I don't feel like prophesying. Or sometimes I don't feel like coming to church. <laughs> but I don't have an option. <laughs> and sometimes I don't feel like being in there at Hopper 6 on a Sunday morning when I could be snuggling in bed with my husband. <laughs> but I don't have a choice. The gospel is not a gospel of convenience. We do it because of God, because we straighten towards Him. And that's how it has to be. There's no room for self-focus. We are who we are for God's people and for the world. And we have to be able to lead people even where they don't want to go and do it in love. The third example that I'm wanting to look at in in Jesus' life is the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. This is a fascinating. I'm, I love the Word of God. I love digging in deep. It's so fascinating looking in the, at the context, and it's so rich, and I hope you do too. The context here is Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded, and he wants to go to a solitary place to be alone. He just wants to be alone. He needs to grieve the loss of John the Baptist, his friend, and he'd been healing the sick, he'd been ministering to people. Um, and he just wanted to get alone. But you know what? The crowds were following him. He was healing the sick, doing miracles. They were following him. And he couldn't get away. And he sees them, and even though he's tired, he has compassion on them. Isn't that beautiful? I wonder how many of us, even when we're tired at the end of the day, we've had a death in our family, we've got lots of justifiable reasons to just say, later for you guys. And I do that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very, I, I don't mind saying no, I'm, bye. <laughs> but Jesus had compassion. He had compassion and he begins to minister to them. He spent the whole day ministering to them, healing the sick and teaching them the whole day. And then it gets towards the evening and, and, and I love Philip and, he, and Philip says, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? You know, that's probably what I would think. I'd be thinking, because I, I, when I walk into a place, I see all the gaps, everything that needs to be done. Some people see faces. I just see everything that needs to be done. So Philip sounds like that. He's like, where are we going to get bread to feel these people, Lord? You know? And Jesus basically there does that miracle with the five body loaves and the two fish. And they feed all the people and there are 12 baskets left over. Now when all of those 5,000 men were fed, all of those people were fed, afterwards it says in John 6 verse, at the end of John 6, so you could go all the way down to the end, it said, 
They said, surely he's the prophet we've been expecting. You can see where they, they, their hearts are. Surely he must be the prophet he fed us. He filled our, all our natural needs and desires. He filled our tummy. He gave us our breakthrough in terms of food. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away. You see, what's happening at this point, they are getting their natural needs fed, met by him. And now they're thinking, okay, we need a political deliverer to deliver us from Roman rule. And he's going to be our king and he's going to do it and because he fed us. That's what they wanted. But Jesus knew that his purpose was not to be a political deliverer and a king, to deliver them from Roman rule. Jesus knew that his uh, purpose was to be a spiritual deliverer and to deliver them from sin, not to deliver them from Roman, uh, from a Roman rule. Jesus was mission-minded, but he carried the heart of the Father. Isn't that beautiful? He knew where their hearts were at. He knew that they just wanted their tummies full, and I'm going to carry on down in that scripture, and we're going to see this. Um, but he knew who he wasn't. He knew who he wasn't. Do you know who you're not? Do you know who you're not? The people tried to make him something he wasn't. And he knew, and he slipped away from them. My question to you this morning is, are there situations or are there people that are trying to make you, even if it's in the best heart possible, trying to make you something that you are not? And should you be slipping away from them? Who is trying to make you something that you are not or someone that you are not? And maybe it's just by, you know, when you hang around people that you shouldn't hang around with, they have an influence on you and you become something that you shouldn't become. Maybe it's just choosing to align yourself more with other people that will speak God's truth over you rather than the other stuff. Maybe it's your parents and they wanted you to be an accountant and you want to be an artist. You know, I don't know what it is, but are there people or situations that you need to slip away from where you're becoming something that you know you shouldn't or that God hasn't called you to become? Jesus was not, he didn't have the fear of man. I love that about him. He just said, lay it for you guys in the nicest possible way, probably, and slipped away. Okay? John 6, I'm picking up the story in John 6, verse 22 to 14. Um, Basically, oh, before this, what has happened is now they've been on the mount, they've come down, the disciples have rode over the sea, and Jesus, remember Jesus went walking on the sea that night, in the early, well, in the early hours of the morning, crossed over, they come to Capernaum. Those same people he fed the night before, they wake up, they don't find Jesus, and they want him, they want him to feed, they want them, they want him because they want him to feed him, feed them, and they want to make him their king. So they go all the way around the sea and they find Jesus, they track him down, poor guy. In Capernaum, and they, and they say to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And then they give him a clue and they say, Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they, they say to him, can you, can you give us a sign so we believe in you? And Moses gave bread to our forefathers. Can you give bread to us? They, he just gave them bread the day before. They wanted their natural needs met. Are you following? They want him to feed them again. And I love Jesus' answer. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They wanted bread, but they didn't want Jesus. They wanted a free meal ticket. They wanted a regular supply of free food by following Jesus. They were after the gift and not the giver. They were after the gift and not the giver. 
Now we told in 1 Corinthians that we should eagerly desire spiritual matters. That word gift there is actually matters. We should eagerly desire spiritual matters, but we shouldn't desire it more than the giver. What about you? Do you seek the gift more than the giver? In your prayer life, let's look at our prayer lives percentage-wise. How much time do I spend praying and declaring my breakthrough? And how much time do I spend actually worshiping God and listening to Him? That's the way of looking at it. Or how much of my focus in my spiritual life is, is on my own breakthrough or my operating in the gifts of God or my, 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 and how much is on God and His kingdom? Are we after the gift or are we after the giver and His purposes? They sought the sign and not the one it signified. They sought the sign and not the one it signified. Signs are there to point us to somewhere. They're there to point us to someone. Miracles, signs, wonders. Do we want that more than we want the one that they signify? They signify someone. And if we have that person, those things are just will follow us. But if those are all we after, we can seek after them, seek after them, we might miss God in the process. What about you? Do you seek the signs more than you seek the one they signify? They wanted natural bread more than the bread of life, which is Jesus. They wanted natural desires met more than bread of life. Do we see this in our lives? Are we more desperate to have our natural needs fulfilled? Now, the hunger was a legitimate need. We have legitimate needs, natural needs. But are we more focused on our legitimate natural needs than our spiritual needs? I love what Jesus said. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. And then he says to them, but as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. Isn't that just so refreshing? You know, I get encouraged when I read about Jesus. Jesus called a spade a spade. You know that? He called a spade a spade. We need a fresh touch of that in the church. <laughs> he called a spade a spade and you know it encourages me because to be honest with you if there were lines in heaven in terms of um, lines to get things and the line for being able to flower up things and say things without saying things I was not in that line <laughs> I'm gentle and so when I call a spade a spade I think it's okay I hope it's okay but but I was not on that line, and, and it's exhausting for me, you know, to try and think, how do I say something without saying it and have to think about it? And my husband was at the front of that line. <laughs> He's got the gift of the gap. And, you know, I had, to, I had to confront a situation, an unpleasant situation with a particular person this week. And one of the, my friends, she's not in this church, she said, I'll pray for you that God will anoint you to flower things up a bit, you know. <laughs> she said, you're a little bit intense. Sometimes this is my friend. Well, that's good. She, she's honest. And I thought, you know what? I actually can't because I'm not made like that. And I just said the truth and I said it in love and I said it gently. And I think that's okay because if I see this, Jesus just said, you know what? You've seen me and you still don't believe. Just straight. And I love that. Are you straight? Do you tell the truth? Do you tell half-truths? Do you keep silent when you should speak out? Now, I've been challenged about that. Do you, do you keep silent because it's just easier? 
just picking your battles. I mean, we can pick our battles. I pick my battles too, but we need to be we need to be truthful. We need to be honest. We need to tell the truth. That's right. Okay. And then Jesus said in John 6, verse 38. Are we learning something from Jesus? Yes. Yes. This is for everyone. It's for leaders. And even if you don't see yourself a leader, you are a leader, but it's for you as well. John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Ouch. Ouch. I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. I mean, we could literally camp here for a whole month in our prayer and repenting because I'm sure many of us do our own will a lot. How many of us when we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to do your will today, not my will. Then he says, fast today. How many of us will be like, uh, uh, maybe another time. Okay, next, what else would you like me to do? <laughs> you know? How many of us are committed like Jesus? I am here to do the whole will, not 50%, not 25%, not as long as it doesn't encroach on my hobbies or my relationships or my goals or my 100% of God's will. Lord, make us a church like that. Then we'll see the church arising in power. Then we'll see it arising. How about you? Where do you think you're at on the willometer? <laughs> oh God! In terms of walking in the will of God, is it a hundred percent flat out, whatever it costs, like Jesus, or is it a gospel of convenience? His will is encapsulated in His Word. Have we sought out His will, or are we comfortable in our ignorance? You know, as Christians, we like that. We like our ignorance, eh? Hey? We don't always want to know because then we're accountable for what we know. Yeah. It's true. Even if you don't like to hear it, I will say it. Hosea 4 says, those, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Not unbelievers perish. My people perish. That's you and that's me. And we perish for a lack of knowledge. His will is encapsulated in his word. We have to dig into his word, people. That's where his will is. In John 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. No, I love Jesus. I just, we just have a special relationship. I don't have to go to church. I just experience him. I love his presence. I just love him. And I sit at home and I listen to him and we have, no, well, in his word, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. One of his commands is, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Boom. Okay? So no, if you love Jesus, you won't sit at home and have your own personal beautiful experience every single Sunday because that's going contrary to his word, which is not loving Jesus. And if Jesus commanded me something, I better well do it if I say I love him. That's what he that's his definition of love. My definition is something else, but his definition is if you love me, you will obey me. Okay? So, we need to seek out His will in order to lead. I need to be led by something in order to lead. Otherwise, where am I leading people? Heaven help me. I don't want to lead lead people just from my own natural capabilities and my own ideas. I need a word. Even my husband. Can I tell you something, ladies? If you're not married, when you look for a husband, you better find a husband that is submitted to the word of God or don't come crying. When things fall apart. That's right. Don't come crying. We, I, we have warned you. 
Find a husband that is submitted to the word of God. When I looked for my husband, can I tell you what I did? I looked around the church. In church, ladies, not outside church, please. In church, I looked around in church. And there was one person that I saw and I said, I can submit to that man. I think he is submitted to the word of God. It was that man. instruction or there's something it's not well I don't really agree with that no well when you said you're a member you submitted and we are accountable for you and you're accountable to us too and if you can't submit in a church don't join it don't join it the pastors there are given to look over you and they have to lead you but if you can't be led go somewhere else where you can be led it's very good amen amen okay this is all about Jesus, right? <laughs> okay, so the first thing Jesus did after he came down from them, we go back to the mount, to the, the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, he goes to Capernaum. He um, confronts the crowds. So these are the crowds that Jesus fed the day before. They want a free meal ticket. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he, confused, he confronts, he confuses the Jews. Now in John 6, verse 41 to 49... The Jews there, that's just a term I've learned for Jesus' hostile opponents. And how many of you have hostile opponents in some areas? You have people who just have a contrary spirit. They just resist you. Okay? Well, this is what Jesus was going through. And they took exception to two things. He said the first thing they didn't like was he said, I came down from heaven because they knew that he was from Joseph's family down the road. Okay? How many of you have that people resist what God has called you to because they don't know. Well, she's just from, she's there. No, she can't. Can't have an international ministry. It's like, look next door to me. How can that be possible? No, you can't. You can't possibly do that. No, she, she, I, I taught her when she was in school. She was like my grade one pupil. Can't possibly have a great call. No. So that's what happened to Jesus. They knew his family. They knew he came from heaven. And are you disregarded because you're known? 
Sometimes the hardest places to be sent to are the places where people are familiar with us because they're familiar. Okay? That's what happened to Jesus. He was disregarded because he was known. The second thing they didn't like was he said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. They interpreted it literally. Now, I love Jesus' response to this. It just, for me, it just ministers freedom because you know what? Most of us, myself included, would have been like, no, you see, what I meant when I said you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, I really meant it's really just a picture. It's symbolic. It's figurative. Don't take it literally because it actually... We would have tried to explain because all of us, especially ladies, want to be understood, right? Yes. Jesus, he didn't say anything. He just left them. He just left it. He didn't explain himself. He didn't want to try to be understood. He just left it there. Why? Because he knew their hearts. He would be wasting his energy to try and explain himself. He would. They weren't going to change anyway. Okay? Isn't that, isn't that refreshing? We don't always have to explain, explain, explain. The third thing he did was he challenged his disciples. John 6, verse 60 to 71. And they struggled with it and they said, this is a hard teaching and who can accept it? And so most of his disciples left him and he was left with the 12 that were really faithful. Okay? Now most of us would have explained and re-explained and explained our teachings if it's figurative so that our following or our influence would remain intact so the public polls would be good in our favor so that our, you know, uh, how, how people think of us would be okay. We would try and make everything okay. Our publicists would put things right. Am I right? Okay, but Jesus didn't. He, he just, he made no such effort. He knew they were grumbling. And verse 65 says, No one can come to me unless the Father enables him. Isn't that refreshing? I think some of us need to just come to a place of peace knowing that, you know what? At the end of the day, it's the Father who does these things. My promotion doesn't come from the left or the right, from the north or the south. It comes from God, my Father. And so, even if you misunderstand my intentions, even if you must, I'm going to stop and I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust my Father. My Father in heaven. Amen. Okay. So this miracle actually marks the end of Jesus' second year of ministry, I've learned, and the beginning of his third year of ministry. And after this miracle, like I said, the crowds wanted to force him to be their political deliverer, to be the king. And Jesus basically says, loop, and he says, I'm the bread of life. And he leaves the situation with only a handful of disciples. So he walks into feeding the 5,000 with all these crowds following him. They want to make him their king. He has lots of disciples. And he walks away misunderstood with a handful of disciples. How many of us would think at that point, God, did I do something wrong? God, what's happening to me? What's happening to my ministry? Am I, should I have explained? Do I need to go and do repair work and damage control? But Jesus doesn't do that. Because he knew that was his purpose. He knew there was a sifting. And, and now he has the disciples that he needs. The last example from his life that I wanted to look at is the triumphal entry. And I think I'm going to finish after this. Because it's 10 past John 12, verse 12 to 13. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Can you see? There it is again. They want to make him king. Mark 11, Mark's account says, Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means please save us. 
It was an act, according to this guy Swanson, it's an acclamation of praise implying rulership. They were basically saying, we want you to be our king. Please may you save us. Save us from what? Save us from Roman rule. So Jesus was coming in, triumphal entry, and he knew these guys have still not got it. They still don't get it, you know? Are there people you've allowed to define you? And is that definition in line with God's definition? Have you allowed a situation, a past, a family, a skin color, a gender to define you? Are you allowing things to define you that shouldn't? Because we have to be defined by what God and who God says we are. Jesus knew he hadn't come to be a king, a political king, even if they wanted to make him king. I mean, come on, most of us would be like, cool, okay, I'll just be a king. You see, Lord, I can be a king and I can also save him from sin. I can be a king and I can also have more influence. I mean, more preaching crowds. You know what I mean? I can speak to, I can touch more people. Give me that TV ministry, I'll touch more people. Give me that thing, I'll have more influence. Jesus was like, I didn't come for that. He knew why he'd come. And what was his approach? He wasn't swayed by the crowds. Are you swayed by the crowds? Are you swayed by your friends? Are you swayed by popular opinion? Jesus was not swayed by the crowds. What did he do? Luke 19, his response. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Even though he knew in his heart, these guys are going to reject me. They're going to be doomed awful things to me he still carried that heart of compassion we're going to look at that next week hopefully if i get there he wept over it that was his response and he says if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes and then he says the days will come when you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they'll dash you to the ground you and your children from your walls and they'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of god's coming to you May we recognize the time of God's coming to us. See, he knew that they didn't realize he'd come to save them, and he knew that they were going to experience military destruction. He was prophesying it. He knew they didn't recognize God when he came. What is your response when people don't understand your purpose? When your family, when your dad, when your close friends, what is your response? Do you also weep and pray for them and carry the heart of the Father toward them? Or do you fight them? Do you try and make them understand? Do you become offended? Jesus carried the heart of his father. He carried the heart of his father. And I think I'm going to end there. I'll get it to the other one next week. So in conclusion, as my husband comes up. In conclusion, Maybe you can close your eyes. I'm going to ask you some questions and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then my husband will do an altar call. Are you so God-focused? Are you mission-minded enough in your life? Are you straightened towards God and not bent towards man? Do you know the gift, the calling, the purpose that God has given you and put in, put in your life? Do you know why you are here on earth? Are you afraid to say no? Are you afraid to be different? Are you afraid to stand out? Are you afraid of the opinions of man? 
because Jesus is here this morning and he wants to touch people. He wants to speak to hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord. It's so refreshing just hearing about your son and how he lived, how he was completely free from the fear of man. Father, I pray that this morning you take us to that place in our lives where we're so straightened to God and we're not bent anymore to man, where we're mission-minded, not need-minded. Father, may you give us clarity with regards to the call of God on our lives. May you speak to us, Lord God. May you show us that if we say we love you, then we need to obey you. And that your will is revealed in your word. We thank you, God, that your word is a spacious place for us. We thank you that your will is a spacious place for us. We thank you, God, that God's will will never take us where his grace cannot sustain us. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for your people. That we'll be those, yes, who enjoy your manifest presence, but who become carriers of that presence. Glory carriers. And we move from the mountain and we take that glory and we go into the nations. May you work in our hearts, Lord, we pray. Maybe you are here this morning and you're in a space in your life where if you're honest with yourself, you're not yet born again. Maybe you've been religious for a long time. But if you're honest with yourself, you're not yet born again. You haven't yet given your heart to the Lord Jesus. You've agreed with Him mentally, but He hasn't captured your heart. If that's you and you want to say, Jesus, you've enabled me to get saved. And so I respond to your enablement. I'm saying yes. Just slip your hand up where you are. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, you want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning? Slip your hand up where you are. Anyone, anyone, anyone. Maybe you once knew the Lord, you were far, but you're far from Him now. You've slipped away. There's a place of return. Don't be overwhelmed by condemnation. Is there anyone here this morning you want to recommit your heart to the Lord Jesus? You want to recommit your heart to the Lord Jesus? Father, I thank you for each person that is here. And I thank you that this word would not be robbed from us. That there will be such a sense of the fear of the Lord. That's what I'm sensing this morning. The fear of the Lord. I thank you that the fear of the Lord is in our hearts even right now. Just with regards to our purpose and obedience to your calling. That we would fear the Lord and not fear man. That we would revere you will give you all the reverence that is due to you, God. And I thank you that this is a spacious place. Teach us your ways, God. Teach us your ways. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. The people of God said, Amen and Amen.